0: He knows my name. It's an amazing thought. Just think about that a minute, believer. He spoke the worlds into existence. He holds them all by his power. By him, all things consist, the Bible says. And he cares to hear from you. He wants to hear from you. Sometimes we think our problems, well, my problems, I won't bother the Lord with that. The old gospel song. What a friend we have in Jesus, all our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. He sees where you're at. He knows the trouble. He wants to deliver. He wants you at least in the trouble to be on his page so you can have your head lifted and understand maybe what he's doing. This morning we're looking at Matthew chapter 11. The king has, we see, have seen his genealogy, his right to rule in the first couple of chapters, the story of his birth, and then his message, and his works in the last couple of chapters. Now, in the next two chapters, we we see in chapter 11 the response to his message, and in chapter 12, we're going to see the response to his mighty and powerful works. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would give us understanding this morning as your children Lord, I'm sure there are people here, a crowd this size. I don't know hearts, but you do that. Or they know answers like the Pharisees. But they have no relationship. Lord, I pray that you'd point them to their dangerous, precarious position today. Living life without you. And Lord, draw them to yourself. For we as believers, Lord, no doubt some are going through trials. And like John, looking at the scripture and thinking, where's the Lord in all this? Lord, lift our heads that we might be faithful soldiers, faithful to you as the king this morning, Lord. Give us understanding of your word, apply it to our lives that we might be equipped. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, in verses one through six, when Jesus had finished giving instructions to his 12 disciples, He departed from there to teach and preach in their city. So he's given them instruction. He sent them out to preach the gospel of the kingdom and to heal and perform miracles. And he's going to do the same thing. The Lord knows that his time is limited. He wants every creature, every opportunity for the people in the nation of Israel to make a decision about him. And so John has been imprisoned. On a trip to Rome, Herod Antipas, governor of Galilee, had taken a liking to Herodias, his sister-in-law, the wife of his brother Philip, and he had seduced her. After returning to Galilee, Herod divorced his own wife and married Herodias. When John the Baptist heard of it, he publicly confronted Herod with his sin and was promptly thrown into prison. John was in prison in an old fort located in a hot, desolate region five miles east and 15 miles south of the northern end of the Dead Sea. Now, here's a guy that lived almost all of his life in the open, probably from the time he was child, he was a child. As soon as he had opportunity, I don't know how long his parents lived. They were old when he was born. He was a miraculous birth himself. He was a wild man. Not in the sense that he didn't have any brains, but he was living in the wild. He was a mountain man. He survived on locusts and honey. He was a lifetime Nazarite, which means... He didn't eat anything that was unclean. He didn't eat anything uh, uh, from, the, from the vine. He never cut his hair, and he wore these rough clothes, kind of like Elijah did. And to see John would have been maybe a little off-taking at first. But he had a message, and the people came in crowds to hear him as he preached. But now he's in prison. Now he's in This dark, miserable place, and he has doubts. Some people say, well, if you're a believer, you should never have doubts. That's not true. You're going to have doubts. There's going to have fears. But what do you do with them? You need to take them all back to the word of God. Don't be driven by the trial itself. We have such good encouragement from the psalmist. How many times the psalmist is uh, crying out to the Lord, Oh, Lord, where are you? All your waves and billows have gone over you. I can't, I can't see you anymore. I can't hear from you. I pray, and the heavens are brass, and you're not there. And many times in those same psalms, the psalmist will begin to remember the blessings of the Lord. And next thing you know, the psalmist is thanking the Lord. See, that's the Lord lifting your head. Psalm 3, one of my favorite psalms. They said, there's no help for him and God. People around say, oh, God's not going to help him. John the Baptist should have learned to keep his mouth shut. He should have. If only, have you ever thought, when I was a kid in Sunday school, hearing about John the Baptist, oh, man, what are you going to mess with that guy for? He you just, you just should have been quiet. Like maybe God's got a different plan if we were wiser, you know. He, if he would have just been quiet, he could have lived and seen more of Jesus' ministry. Seen the church start. No, this was God's plan. God knows every day you're going to breathe and when he's going to take you home. That ought to give us courage. You can live courageously for Jesus, out there on the edge for him, being obedient, not worrying about the results if you're you're in Christ and you're, you're following him, doing what he asked you to do. And I don't think John was discouraged about the fact that he had said the wrong thing. I don't think John ever thought, oh, I wish I wouldn't have said that. Could you get Herod to come down here? I'm sorry, Herod. I'm sorry messing with your family. You know, I should have said that. I don't think John ever had those thoughts. John wasn't worried about death. What is he concerned about? He's looking at the scripture like we can, a little myopically, and saying, oh, well, here's what the Bible says. Therefore, God should be doing this. We have expectations. And those expectations that we have many times really burden us. There's a poem that my old pastor used to quote a lot and I've quoted at funerals. My life is but a weaving between my Lord and I. I cannot see the colors he weaves faithfully. Sometimes he weaves dark threads and I in foolish pride. Forget he sees the upper and I the underside. Not to, till the loom is silent and the shuttle, shuttle ceases to fly. Will God unroll the canvas and explain the reason why? The dark th- threads are as needful as the in in the master's loving hand as the threads of gold and silver in the pattern he has planned. See, we get our own little view of things, how things should go. We can even do a bible text. Well, God needs to be doing this cuz he says this here. John could have said that. What was John's problem? It says there he heard about the works of Jesus and he said, "Are you are we waiting for somebody else?" What did John experience? He had experienced God said, when you're going to know, you're going to recognize when he comes. Now, they were distant cousins, like second or third cousins, but still, he didn't grow up with Jesus. So God gave him supernatural recognition. Then when he, he baptized him, the Holy Spirit came down like a dove and rested upon him, and he heard the voice of the Father from heaven, this is my son. He had that experience, and yet, he, well, maybe, maybe I got it wrong. Why? Well, look at Malachi chapter 3. You don't, I'll read it to you. You don't have to turn there. But you can if you want to make sure I'm telling you the truth. I think John was thinking about this passage. Behold, I'm going to send my messenger. That's him. And he will clear the way before me. John had done that. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come into his temple and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. And what will he do? Verse 2. But who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? For he's like a refiner's fire and like a fuller's soap. He will sit as a smelter and purifier of silver, and he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver, so they may present to the Lord offerings in righteousness. Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord, as in the days of old, as in former years. Then I will draw near to you for judgment. I will be a swift witness against the sorcerers, against the adulterers, against those who swear falsely, against those who oppress the wager and his wages, the widow and the orphan, and those who turn aside the alien. And do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts. I do not change. Where's John? He's in prison because the rule of the Jews was an adulterer, and he just called it out. And I think he's saying, Lord, when are you going to come and purify the sons of Israel? I hear about the miraculous works. Why aren't people changing? Have you wondered that? Recently, I saw a really neat documentary about the life of Billy Graham. I mean, Billy Graham preached to millions in his lifetime. And thousands and thousands of decisions. Why are we here today when all that ministry's done? Because that is the way people are. You wonder why? I keep asking myself, how come you have in the big cities these mega churches and they're still full of wickedness and corruption and they still have governors that, that rule wickedly? Why is that? Because people don't really live out what they say, I guess. And John, is, I think, is sitting there holding. Now, finish, Lord. I don't think he's worried about his own life. I really don't. I think he's courageous, I think he's fearless. He's lived his whole life. Take my life. I'm going to God. What a reception John got. Abs in the body, present with the Lord. I Think John was sorry he got to heaven? Oh, you know, I, I thought that way as a kid. Well, Lord, you know, if John would have just, you know, kept us cool. Maybe he should have let those guys deal with him. He's wicked anyway. He's not going to get saved anyway. Why mess with him? John never thought that. But I think he's wondering, did I waste my life? Did, did, did maybe, you know, maybe I was putting emphasis on the wrong thing. Like the writer of Psalm 73. He said, you know, maybe I, maybe I wasted my time because he began to look at the wicked. He began to look at the culture and the situation and the writer of Psalms says, maybe I wasted my time. And then he says, then I came into the heart of the into, the, into the house of the Lord. And what did he hear there? God's word. God's word. So John says, he, it says there, he hears about the works of Jesus and he asked the question because he's only seen part of it. So what does Jesus respond with? He responds by quoting to him, Isaiah 35. you go back and tell John, Jesus is so tender. He could have said, whatever. Sorry, John messed up. You think he feels that way about you too. He doesn't. He knows your name. He knows your every thought. He sees each tear that falls and he answers when you call. So he answers very tenderly to, to, to John's disciples. Go report to John what you hear and see. You see, in that passage, it always also talks about Israel being saved and Jesus bringing judgment, but he says, no, no, we're on task here. Stay with me, John. God is at work. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, the levers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. The dead are raised, and the poor of the gospel preach to them. See, just because you share the gospel faithfully doesn't mean everybody you share with is going to get saved. It doesn't mean you shouldn't share it. In spite of what the culture does, you see, there's no... We're not going to be singing the Star Spangled Banner, Banner in Heaven as much as we love our country. Many of us have served her in the military and been willing to risk our lives. And we love our country, and it. it it's sad when you see the wickedness of leaders in high places, knowingly thumbing their nose at God, and it's sad, we ought to weep for our nation. But ultimately, here's our hope, and I have to discipline myself. I'm driving in the car and sometimes Rush will be on, and I don't listen to him all the time, but him or Sean or one of these guys, and they're talking about these things, and I'm going, yeah, why can't we get it right? But you see, God's on a timetable. And whether or not God's going to bring a revival to the United States, I don't know. Can He? Yes, He can. Will He? I don't know. He may come back tomorrow. And there's no guarantee that there's going to be a revival. It doesn't matter what happens in the culture or situation, we as His children are still called to be faithful in our time and our place. No matter the results, no matter what happens, we're called to faithfulness. That's what makes a difference. And he says, John, don't be offended at me. Blessed are they that don't take offense. And what's he telling him? Don't lose me here, John. Don't be distracted by what you think is happening. Come up here from my perspective. And see that God knows the end from the beginning. He knows everything that's going on. What an important lesson. You have your expectations, and all of a sudden you feel like you've done everything you're supposed to do. Why isn't God doing his part? I guess I'm just not important enough. That's what we think. We're not important enough. No, God knows. He sees. You want to have your head lifted? Say, no, I just want my situation to change. Well, that's honest, but that's not the right thing. Ask God to lift your head. When God lifts your head, you'll be able to have joy even in the midst of trial. That's what his grace does. His grace, in spite of what's going on, in spite of all The trouble around you. And I got to believe that John heard that word. Don't be offended. might be John. And John went, that's my king. That's my king. When God speaks to your heart through his word, in spite of the circumstances, all of a sudden you have a joy and you go, oh, man, that's something right there. I've been there. Have you been there? Were you discouraged? Maybe are there right now and you're discouraged. Listen, don't be offended by the timing of the Lord or what you think you ought to be doing. Just go and say, God, I know you see everything here. And over the years as a pastor, people have come to me almost in pride and said, well, I just want you to know I'm mad at God. How's that working out for you? First of all, God's not intimidated. I hear it's okay to be mad at God. Uh, no, it's not. That's a rebellious attitude. Look what happens to the people in Israel. The old old nation of, of, of Israel, I'm just starting again to go through the scripture and read, and I'm just amazed at the rebellion. Then I have to consider that's my heart too sometimes. Hey, what have you done for me lately, God? They go through and they see all the miraculous things God does to deliver them. They don't even get across the Red Sea, and they're saying you know, Moses, we told you not to bring us out here. We did not come out here. You could just bring out here to die by the army. And they sing that tune all the way through the wilderness until God's had enough with them. He said, all right, fine. You're all going to die here. You have seen God's works. You reject him. You reject the leadership. You're going to die in the wilderness from 20 years old and up. And I think Pastor Al's done the than the math on that, how many funerals they held every day as people were dropping like flies all the way through the wilderness. God had enough. So I tell people, like the last one came up and said, well, I'm just mad at God. I said, first of all, you need to repent of your sin. Oh, what do you mean? That's bitterness. I understand being in the midst of a trial and being discouraged and being uh, depressed and not understanding. That's one thing. But you go to God, the first thing you better say is, God, I'm angry at you, and that's sin. Because see, what you've done is you put yourself in God and well, if I were God, I'd do this. Well, you're not. And the last lady, I said, so don't you think you need to repent of your sin? Oh, Well, maybe. No, you do. And secondly, God's not intimidated by your little temper tantrum. But if you belong to him, he will spank you. He promised he would. He scourges every son he receives. Why? He wants you to come. We need to come to the word of God and to the things in our lives as servants, as learners. We're going to see in the last couple of verses, not as experts, not as theological professionals, as learners. Don't be offended, John. John. Then as those people were going away, as these men were going away, Jesus began to speak to the crowds about John. And I'm sure his disciples probably heard him and stopped and listened and gave John this message too, because this message is also for John. So who'd you go out to hear? Oh, you want to criticize John because you thought he got discouraged? You want to criticize John? How about you? What'd you go out to hear, a reed blowing in the wind? That's American pulpits today, isn't it? Let's find out what people in the world want to hear, and let's do that. Ooh, they don't like that message about sin and what God says is sin and what what is not sin. Let's just not preach that part. Famous man was asked, preacher was asked to go to uh, pray at uh, Obama's last inauguration, and then somebody looked up like they do and found out he preached homosexuality was sin 15 years before that. And they tell you, did this. Say, oh, well, you know, that's not our message anymore. What in the world do you mean by that? God hasn't changed. And so he just deferred, okay, well, don't, don't put me there. We have famous pastors saying, we need a hook from the Old Testament, too much judgment there. No, it's all God's word. And if you identify with God's word, as His, and you identify as his children, and you say what God says, the world's not gonna like you. Guess what? It hated him first. But there's reward for faithfulness for standing, for being wise enough to speak the truth in love so that some might be saved. What'd you go out to hear? A guy who changed his message that blew with the winds of political correctness? No. You went out to hear him because he had a different message. Here's this wild man out there, the prophet, speaking truth, speaking to even the leadership and not, not 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 even intimidated by them. When they showed up in the line to get baptized, oh, let's just get along with this crowd. Maybe we can gain some more hearers. He stops and says, hey, hey, who warned you snakes to flee from the wrath to come? Who don't talk to the leadership that way. No, they didn't get out here to a reed shaken by the wind. What would you go out to see, a man dressed in soft clothing? No, those are the kings. What did you go out to see, a prophet? And I tell you, one who was more than the prophet. Verse 10, he was my messenger. He's the one, the Bible said would prepare the way before him. Verse 11, he's the greatest prophet of the Old Testament age. What do you mean by that? Well, you see, All the Old Testament prophets prophesied of the coming of Christ. John the Baptist got to see it. Great, great privilege. Supernatural birth. God used him from even before he was born. When Mary came to see her cousin Elizabeth, and she was pregnant with John the Baptist, she heard the voice. and John the Baptist, inside the womb of his mother, heard the voice, and he leapt in his mother's womb. And the reason we know... That that was the Holy Spirit is because when his mother sings her praise to God, she says that was the Holy Spirit. Why? Because God told her it was greatest prophet. But he says this: yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. What does he mean by that? We're, we're better than John the Baptist? No. He got to see the coming of Christ. You, as believers, have experienced his finished work. John get, didn't get to see that. Least in the kingdom gets to see that. And then verse 12, Jesus calls his champion a courageous warrior. You know, it doesn't really matter what the world thinks about you. Paul said, I don't care if people judge me. He said, I don't even judge myself. What matters is what does God think of you? Tremendous verse in Hebrews chapter 11 that says God is not ashamed to be their God. Isn't that an amazing thing to strive for? That God won't be ashamed that he saved you. He loves you. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violent, and violent men take it by force. How did you get that out of there? Well, it says in Luke chapter 16, Jesus is given... The uh, challenge about the unjust ruler, the unjust, is about money, about investment, and the, the unjust steward and, and how he's cheating. And, and, and the Lord says that he went out when the, his employer found out and fired him. He went out and made all the accounts right. He says, how much do you owe my, my, uh, my master? 50 or 100. Well, then write 50. How much? 80. Write 40. And the master praises him because he's a faithful steward in in himself because he says, well, I'm I'm too old to dig. How am I going to be able to live? I'm going to have people think nicely of me and welcome me into their homes when I don't have work. And Jesus said, yeah, he was wise. And then he gives us instruction. Use your material goods so that there'll be people in heaven. Put the Lord first, not money. Look at the Pharisees' response to that. They say, well, that's unwise because they loved money. And Jesus says, I got to find it. I don't want you to think I'm telling you something's not true. Verse 14, now the Pharisees who were lovers of money were listening to all these things and were scoffing at him. He just told them, you can't love money and love God at the same time. you got to do one or the other. And he says, you are those who justify yourselves in the sight of men, but God knows your heart. For that which is highly esteemed among men is detestable in the sight of God. Verse 16, The law and the prophets were preached until John. Since that time, the gospel of the kingdom has been preached, and everyone is forcing his way into it. So he's saying, John's a champion. That's the parallel passage to here in Matthew 11, verse 12. John's a champion. He's going to do whatever it takes to be faithful. And I think the greatest illustration is found in John Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress interpreter, pastor, is giving uh, Pilgrim some advice before he sets out on the rest of his journey. He said, I want you to have some pictures in your mind. Satan's going to fight against you. But no, the Holy Spirit is stronger than this. This is a picture of a fire. And so Satan's on one side trying to put it out with water. On the other side, in the backside of the fire, there's the Holy Spirit putting oil on the fire so it never goes out. No matter what you face, God's life is in you. Then he takes them and he kind of gives them a scene. And there's these people in this beautiful, beautiful mansion. And the folks on the top are all dressed in gold and look like just a beautiful place and beautiful people. And Christian asks interpreter, can we go in there? He said, well, just watch. Let Let me show you what happens. But outside this castle, this beautiful house, this mansion, there are armed guards trying to keep everybody out that wants to get in. And there's a man a little distance away at a table. And a lot of people would like to go to heaven, but they're afraid to actually count the cost and try to... They, they see all the opposition and the problem is going to be being a believer. And so they, they just hold back. The Bible says in Revelation 21, the fearful and the unbelieving will be in hell. They can't count the cost. And then one young man comes up and he says, put my name down. And the man at the table puts his name down, he grabs his helmet, puts it on, gets his sword, and he rushes at the men trying to keep him out. And the Bible, it says there in Pilgrim's Progress, after giving and receiving many blows, he cuts his way through and enters in. And as he does, he hears the people on top sing out to him, come in, come in, eternal glory thou shalt win. And Christian says to interpreter, I know what this means. It's time to go. You see, salvation has been provided free. But the cost of being a faithful warrior is everything, but it's totally worth it. Romans 9 says, whatever suffering you experience cannot be compared to the glory they're going to share in heaven. And that was enough instruction for Pilgrim not to give up. See, you won't give up either. Why? Because it's the life of Christ in you. Amazing grace, it says, through many dangers, toils, and snares, I have already come. In Christ, there's going to be challenges. There's going to be tribulation, but Jesus says, take heart, I've overcome the world. There's great victory at the other end. He said, listen, if you would have it, He tells these people John was the spirit of Elijah. But they wouldn't have it. See, if the folks would have accepted that that was Elijah come to prepare the way, he came in the spirit and the power of Elijah and received Christ, would he have died on the cross? Yes. He would still have been crucified by the Romans because there had to be a sacrifice. But then he would have set up his kingdom. It was a legitimate offer, but they rejected him. And then he says to the crowds, What shall I compare this generation to? Like little children playing in the marketplace, saying, We piped and you didn't dance. You, we mourned and you didn't cry with us. That's a lot of people. They want to change. Well, if only Jesus were more like this. I wish Christianity was like this. And they, they put it down. They look at some Christian they know that maybe wasn't a good example. And they say, Well, Christians are like this. And they have this excuse why they won't submit to the claims of Christ. People are fickle. That's why we as the church shouldn't change our message to accommodate sinful, rebellious people. Because you can't, no matter how much time or effort you spend, bring one person into the kingdom. You can't do it. What can? The faithful ministering of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God unto salvation. Don't change it. Don't make it more palatable. You cannot make the gospel of Jesus Christ palatable to the unregenerate heart. But you can share the gospel and God can use it to bring people to himself. John came, neither eating or drinking, and they said, he has a demon. The son of man comes and he eats and drinks And he hangs out with sinners. Why? Because we've already read that. The well don't need a physician. And you say, a drunkard and a friend of tax collectors and sinners, yet wisdom is vindicated by her deeds. They're judging by the outside. A lot of people judge. Well, I read the Bible. Nothing there for me. And you know what? They don't belong to God. That's exactly right. There is nothing there for them. And they ignore the testimony of those whose lives have been changed. That shouldn't make us change our message. Then he goes on to the cities, governments. And he says, woe to you, Chorazon Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the miracles had occurred in Tyre and Sidon with the Gentiles that occurred in you, they would have repented in dust and ashes. And you, Capernaum, you'll not be exalted to heaven, will you? You will descend to Hades. Where was Capernaum? That was the headquarters Of Jesus' ministry, he'd moved from Nazareth, and they rejected him and brought his family down, and his headquarters was there in Capernaum. And we just read in the last few weeks, all the crowds that would come down and bring all the sick from all over Israel, and he healed everyone. There was a testimony. But for the most part, even Capernaum rejected him. No, you will descend to Hades. For if the miracles that occurred in Sodom, which occurred in you, it would have remained to this day. Nevertheless, I say to you, it will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and the day of judgment than for you. If you are waiting to make your decision to follow Christ based upon the crowds, based upon what governments think, you're going to be wrong. Jesus said in his great Sermon on the Mount, he gets the invitation. He said, narrow is the way. Straight is the gate that leads to eternal life, and few there be that find it. But God, in his grace, continues to offer an invitation. Verse 25. At that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father. See, all these other people I rejected. The people in the know, the Pharisees. Most of the people that saw the miracles... The governments of those cities had all rejected, the scribes and the Pharisees, the synagogues, had all rejected the message of the king. I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and intelligent and revealed them to infants. Remember, Jesus said, except for you become as a child, you will not see the kingdom of God. What does that mean? You got to say, God, at His word. You just have to simply trust him like a child would. Yes, Father for this way was well-pleasing in your sight. See, you and I, if we were doing the thing, we would have been like the disciples. Lord, let's not talk about that stuff. Let's get to the positive stuff. Because see, people are coming, and then you start talking, and the crowds melt away. Why? Because he was getting down to the gospel. Except you eat of my flesh and drink of my blood. And, well, whoa, what's he talking about? The disciples didn't understand either in John 6, but they knew enough to know that he had the words of life. So they said, Lord, what do you mean by that? He said, the words that I speak to you, they're spiritual and they're life. So you eat physical food to get life, don't you? You know, I had a friend of mine, Dr. Or John, Pastor Hutchison, and he said, I, I don't like vegetables. I just have to eat them after they've been through the cow. He just ate meat. Now, I don't know if that's good for you or not. I would say probably not. But we eat food because the food ate things, plants, they get nutrition from the ground, animals get nutrition from the plants, and then we eat them, we get life, physical life. He said, unless you partake of my life, you're not going to live forever. No matter what you eat, no matter how healthy you eat, you're going to die, but he that partakes of the life of Jesus Christ will live forever. He was talking about his life, and so he looked at his disciples, everybody else was melting away, and he said, Are you gonna go away too? And Peter said, Where are we gonna go, Lord? We don't understand what you're talking about, but we know that you have the words of life. And then he explained what he meant. Then he says, verse 27, this is very important to understand. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows exo- the Son except the Father, nor does anyone know the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son wills to reveal him. John 17, 2, Jesus is preaching his high priestly prayer. He says the same thing. Even as you gave all authority over all flesh, to all whom you have given him, he may give eternal life. See, God is sovereign over salvation. And so you might ask yourself, hold it. If I'm not been... Predestined, because that's a Bible word. So you don't believe you believe in predestination? That's what the Bible believes. Predestined. Chosen before. What does that mean? Old J Vernon McGee, a great pastor that preached all the way through the Bible, he was on the radio for years. In fact, I think he's still on the radio, he being dead yet speaketh. Great, gravelly, southern voice. Said, God has created two kinds of people: the whosoever wills and the whosoever won't. And that's what Jesus said in his invitation. Very simple. He said, come unto me, all you that are weary and heavy laden. Pilgrim's progress, again, Christian is burdened with sin. He lives in the city of destruction. And everybody there is under the penalty of death. But he's the only one that thinks he needs to escape at this time. And he reads the words of God that says, flee the wrath to come. And he runs outside the city, looks here and there, and he's panicky. He doesn't know which way to go. And then evangelist comes, and he says, what's your problem? He says, I, I believe I'm going to be pulled down to judgment and there to hell, and I'm not ready for that, nor able to face it. Well, you need to flee the wrath that come. He says, I'd love to, but I don't know which way to go. And evangelist says, do you see yon wicked gate? And he points him to the cross. No, I can't see it. He lifts his hand. He says, do you see yonder light? Oh, I think I do. You just head to that light. You just keep following what you see in Scripture. God is leading. He's always proficient. Everybody that calls to himself. But what's the difference? He was burdened by sin. He had a lot of people trying to get it off through legalism, through good works, through ignoring the burden. But only the cross was sufficient and proficient to release him from his burden of sin. The second verse of amazing grace says, It was grace that taught my heart to fear. See, that's grace that convicted you of your lost condition. And the next phrase says, And grace my fears relieved. How precious did that grace appear the hour I first believed. He says, Come unto me, all you that are weary and heavy laden. I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me. That's what we are. We're learners. Come and be a disciple. Learn from me. For I am meek and lowly of heart, and you'll find rest for your souls because my yoke is easy and my burden is light. We see the crowds, for the most part, rejected the message of the king. Those that were in authority in the cities that saw the miracles, they rejected the king. But what will you do with Jesus? In Matthew 27, 22, Pilate has examined Jesus, and he finds no fault in him. And so he scourges him, hoping the people will feel sorry. And he brings him back out to the crowd. And he says, I'll release to you Barabbas, this this convicted criminal, or Jesus? And they say, no, give us Barabbas. Release him. And then he says, what would you have me do with Jesus who is called to Christ? That will be a question one day. You may have all the reasons and all the excuses why you haven't trusted Christ, but realize this, one day you're going to stand before God. And then the question will not be what will you do with Jesus, but what will Jesus do with you? Father, we thank you for your word we're so thankful that in spite of our condition lord our sin and the sin of this world that you still extend an invitation for us and say come unto me all you that are weary and heavy laden lord i pray for those here this morning that may have a lot of things figured out a lot of life they they, they figure out their politics they figured out what pro team they should root for and where they should work and how they should invest their money but lord they don't have you and we hear the words echo in our heart from James, what is your life but a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. We don't have tomorrow. Today is the day of salvation. And the words of Jesus in Matthew 16, if a man gain the whole world and lose his soul, is that a good investment of life? Lord, I pray if there are some here that don't know you as Savior, you would draw them to yourself, and that we as believers would would listen, take heed, the time is short, and we have this opportunity to be faithful, Lord, that we might hear from your lips. Well done, faithful servant. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand this thing together.